KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power is presenting Indian fusion band Red Bharat, mixing Indian bhangra rhythms, hip-hop, and funk music, March 23rd at the Epstein Family Amphitheater. Tickets and information about upcoming concerts and events at artpower.ucsd.edu. What will the impact of sanctions on Russia be? We will limit Russia's ability to do business in dollars, euros, pounds, and yen to be part of the global economy. I'm Jade Hindman. This is KPBS Midday Edition. How far has San Diego come since the civil rights movement? The white backlash is nothing more than white America's answer to the cry of black people for complete American citizenship. And a look at the art scene in our weekend preview. That's ahead on Midday Edition. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. As war threatens lives and livelihoods across Ukraine, U.S. President Joe Biden is introducing additional sanctions against the Russian government. Some of the most powerful impacts our actions will come over time as we squeeze Russians' access to finances and technology for strategic sectors of its economy and degrade its industrial capacity for years to come. U.S. and European leaders are sanctioning everything from bank accounts to energy pipelines in an attempt to stop Russian President Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Joining me to talk about the implications of these sanctions for Europe and the U.S. is David Victor, a professor of innovation and public policy at the School of Global Policy and Strategy at UC San Diego. Welcome back, David. It's terrific to be back with you, Jade. So first, I'm going to start with this very basic question. Can you break down what sanctions are exactly? I mean, we know the goal is to limit Russia's ability to do business, but how exactly does that work? Well, what we're trying to do is punish the Russians so that they see a bigger cost for their actions in Ukraine. And we're doing that in two ways. One way is it going to affect Russian business, the Russian economy. The other is affecting people around Putin himself and then ultimately, uh, hopefully, Putin, so that they have a visceral personal calculation about those those costs. And the trick here is to impose maximum costs on people around Putin and on the Russian economy, while also minimizing the amount of harm to us, harm such as higher oil prices. In this case, do you think the current sanctions are enough to stop Russian President Vladimir Putin? They won't stop Putin. He's got he would have huge domestic uh, political costs uh, if he were to suddenly you know, turn around and leave Ukraine. Part of what we're seeing here is Putin's feeling of being kind of fragile in his grip on power. He looks to us like a strong man, but in, in reality, there are many weaknesses in, around his political control. And so that's being expressed in, in this desire to take over Ukraine or to basically tamp down the relationship between Ukraine and the West. So I don't think sanctions are going to stop that very quickly. But I think what they are going to do is force a a massive amount of harm on the Russian economy. And the key thing over the long term is going to be to reduce the flow of money into Russia. The main exports are oil and gas. 
So that's what's ultimately funding the war. And, and we need to reduce the money that flows into the Russian economy and to Putin directly in order to ultimately reduce the long-term harm that he's going to cause to the, to the global political order. And what are the implications or consequences of these sanctions for Americans? Well, there are going to be a few consequences. Some of it will be immediate. We're seeing it already. The price of oil is now you know, bouncing around close to $100 a barrel. In early December, it was about $70 a barrel. Probably more than half of that is the result of this crisis. Oil prices are higher also because of the rapid rebound in the global economy, of maybe overheating of the global economy. So we're going to see this in terms of the price of gasoline at, at the pump. We're also over the longer term going to see this in, in uh, changes in the, in the export strategy of companies. Because uh, right now, a bunch of companies sell products, and including high-tech products, into Russia. Those are being shut off. The, it'll be very complicated for companies to figure out how to do business in Russia and not violate these sanctions. And so over time, Russia, may, a little bit like Iran, it's going to become more of a pariah. It's going to be harder to do business there. And companies that have depended on that business are going to have to shift elsewhere. You mentioned oil prices. Uh, we're looking down $5 a gallon for gas, but the connection to the war is indirect. Can you explain a bit more about why we're seeing this here when we really have no direct reliance on Russian gas? Well, we have uh, reliance on the global market for oil. And then from that oil is refined gasoline and jet fuel and so on. So whether or not we directly import oil from Russia is irrelevant to the to our price, to the prices that we pay. Because if there are big disruptions in, an, in a global oil market that's already pretty tight, which has happened because of the rapid recovery of the global economy, when those disruptions happen, they affect all oil importers everywhere around the world. And so that's why we're seeing, uh, ultimately, we're going to see it at the gasoline pump is an impact of, of the crisis in, in Russia on the price we pay for, for, for gasoline. Another consequence of cutting off Europe from Russian energy supplies is it's forcing European leaders to fast-track renewable energy projects. What's your take on that? Well, my take is we have to keep the timescales in perspective. Europeans are very committed to action on climate change, just like we are here in California. They're investing very heavily in renewables and hydrogen, a lot of other interesting energy uh, innovations. So that'll continue. That'll probably even, they'll probably even double down on that. But that takes a long time. And so for the long term, this will probably accelerate action on climate change in Europe. For the short term, ironically, it has the exact opposite impact, which is you have the Europeans scrambling. We're helping them to make sure as many supplies of oil are on the global market as possible, and in particular, as many supplies of natural gas into Europe as possible. And so um, you see more tankers full of liquefied natural gas, including some coming from the United States that are going into Europe to help offset possible disruptions in the supply that's coming from Russia across Ukraine. What will you be watching for in the coming days and weeks? Uh as this crisis unfolds? Number one thing to watch is whether the West hangs together. If the West hangs together and continues to uh, put maximum financial pressure on the Russians and isolate them and turn them into a pariah, then they're going to have to find some way to blink. And then our job is to help the Russians find a way to blink and to move back out of Ukraine and to let order restore. Um, but, but if the West does not hang together, then uh, Putin's going to be in Ukraine for a long time. I've been speaking with David Victor, a professor of innovation and public policy at the School of Global Policy and Strategy at UC San Diego. David, thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Jade.
As the nation recognizes Black History Month, KPBS race and equity reporter Christina Kim takes a closer look at how far San Diego has or hasn't come since the civil rights movement through the eyes of local civil rights hero Harold K. Brown. Please note that the archival radio sound used in the following story uses the word Negro to talk about Black Americans. In 1966, at the height of the civil rights movement, one year before the long, hot summer of 67, a live call-in radio show premiered on the San Diego airwaves. KSDO Radio, in cooperation with the News and Public Affairs Department of the Gordon Broadcasting Company, presents Viewpoints. Hosted and created by local civil rights leaders Harold K. Brown and Reverend R. Major Shavers, the show approached the issue of racial justice head-on. The white backlash is nothing more than white America's answer to the cry of black people for complete American citizenship. That's Harold Brown, or Hal as he's better known, the co-founder of the San Diego chapter of the Congress on Racial Equality, or CORE, who fought against local housing and job discrimination. White America's answer is no, as it always has been. White America sits back on its white power throne and waits for black America to do something it does not agree with. Now 87 years old, he still lives in San Diego. And when he listens back to the show he recorded in his early 30s, some things have changed. I didn't recognize the voice then because it's so different now. (laughs) It's softer, with a little more gravel and a little more wisdom. He thinks people should recognize and celebrate how far we've come since the days when he was fighting SDG&E, the Bank of America, and the world-famous San Diego Zoo to just hire Black people. We have Black teachers, Black lawyers, Black judges, Black corporate executives. But when he sees the January 6th insurrection, the efforts in 2022 to limit the Black vote, and the outcry over teaching ethnic studies in school, he feels like he's back hosting his show in 1966, navigating white San Diegans' response to the civil rights movement. This uh, idea of uh, black power and so forth, of course, isn't going to help their cause. It only hurts it. And I think that uh, the overall, the real story of white backlash is the people just flat had it. Completely elevate this person to uh, uh, some mythical high place and uh, give him everything he wants, pay his way and all this stuff. What I'm saying is the, the white backlash it will be the people voting down the people who represent these ideas in the future. Listening to this now, Brown chuckles to himself. He heard similar sentiments after the global racial justice protests of 2020. So that backlash is, you know, it's been there. It's there today. And unfortunately, it will be there tomorrow. As he listens to other Viewpoint episodes, the more clear it becomes that San Diego is still working through the same issues. Take police oversight, which Brown discussed on Viewpoints in the 60s. Negroes are treated unjustly. Now, where can you go to complain? You go to the police department and complain. Well, many Negroes feel, and I feel, that going to the police department to complain about the police department does just does not make good sense. San Diego didn't create an oversight board until the 1980s, and only recently did the city pass a measure to strengthen this board. Its implementation is still pending. Even if the change feels achingly slow, Hal knows that endurance is part of the struggle. I have always realized ever since I entered into the 
civil rights movement. I have always felt that there is much to do and we won't resolve it in our life, in my lifetime. Change is only possible because of the work of generation after generation of Black people demanding equality. They were lynched. They were tar and feathered. They were jailed. Uh, they were whipped. They suffered through all that and all through the hard labor. They, they suffered all that to get me where I am today. So, you know, how can I not continue and let my forefathers and foremothers down. Which is why, more than 50 years later, Brown is still fighting. Christina Kim, KPBS News. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. In the arts this weekend, a touring dance performance full of horror and fairy tales, a one-night theatrical production celebrating Black joy and creativity, a Venezuelan trumpet virtuoso at the symphony, and visual art made from books. Joining me with all the details is KPBS arts editor and producer, Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, welcome. Hi, Jade. Thanks for having me. Hey, so let's start with the trumpeter, Pacho Flores, who's performing with the San Diego Symphony tomorrow night. Tell us about it. Yeah, Pacho Flores is a product of El Sistema, which is the major national music program in Venezuela. And this program celebrated all over the world as one of the most significant music education programs ever. And it has some pretty famous alums like Gustavo Dudamel and our own Rafael Piare. Piare and Flores met as teenagers in El Sistema, and Piare has invited his childhood friend or childhood co-prodigy, whatever you would call them, to come and play a few performances with his own symphony. And one of the works they're going to play is a piece by living Cuban composer Paquito de Rivera. It's called Concerto Venezolano for Trumpet and Orchestra, and it was actually composed for Pacho Flores. And though it's, it's a traditional enough sounding concerto, it's influenced by Latin American folk styles like there's the Venezuelan merengue, the joropo, and the Cuban danzón. And I talked to Pacha Flores earlier this month about this concert, and he was almost reverent when he was talking about Venezuelan folk and popular music, but he hesitated when I asked him whether he preferred playing folk music or classical. My father told me when I was a child that the, this sentence, Pacho, the music doesn't have borders. For him, the music is music. You can play Piazzolla or Tchaikovsky, and you have to play with the most beautiful sound and dignity of every style. The symphony and Flores are doing two shows locally. There's the full local orchestra performance this Saturday night. Piare leads Tchaikovsky. They are playing one Tchaikovsky piece, his Symphony Number no. 4 in F minor. But they're also playing two pieces that showcase the trumpet, that Paquito de Rivera piece, and also this Neruda Trumpet Concerto, which Flores plays on a corno de cachia, which is a piccolo trumpet. It's shaped more like a miniature French horn. 
And then on Tuesday night, the symphony is also performing with a smaller chamber-style group, along with Flores again. That's at the Conrad Previs Performing Arts Center in La Jolla. It's a series of jazz, Latin, and classical fusion pieces. And three of those works are also composed by Paquito de Rivera. And he is actually coming to town to play clarinet and alto sax in that concert. So that show is going to be a real treat. All right. The San Diego Symphony is performing two San Diego concerts with Pacho Flores on Saturday at the Civic Theater at 8 p.m., then chamber concert on Tuesday at the Conrad in La Jolla. Next up, let's head to Carlsbad's Canon Art Gallery, where a new exhibition is opening. It's all art made from or inspired by books. Tell us about Reimagined, the artist book. This is a group exhibition. It has work by 14 artists, and seven of them are from Southern California, and all of them are notable for their book-related visual art. So whether it's intricate sculptures cut into the pages of books, or really inventive bookbinding, or even more conceptual stuff, and it all opens on Saturday with an outdoor reception, and then will be on view through May. Locals to watch here include Sage Serrano, who will also be leading a bookmaking workshop at the gallery in April, as well as Elena Lomakin, Viviana Lombroso, Judith Christensen, and more. Reimagined, the artist book opens Saturday at the Canon Art Gallery in Carlsbad with a reception from 5 to 7 p.m. Coronado Playhouse is hosting a one-night performance with the Teenage Youth Performing Arts Theater company called Expression of Black Joy in Unity. Tell us about this and this partnership. Right, this is part of their new co-production program where smaller theater companies, typically ones without a permanent performance space, they can apply and Coronado Playhouse will then share resources and space for productions. And this one is Taipa or Teenage Youth Performing Arts Theater Company that's helmed by Imani King Murillo and Kimberly King. And they're paired with director Candace Crystal to write, direct, and curate this program, which will also feature dance. And it's subtitled All Our Black Lives, Forging Unity. And the group has said that the intention is to celebrate Black joy and creative expression and also the diversity of Black creativity. It is a single performance Saturday night, and the show is free, but seats in the theater are assigned. So go online and reserve your spot in advance. Expression of Black Joy and Unity is Saturday at 7 p.m. at Coronado Playhouse. Finally, some dance and some horror. Tell us about Sugar Houses. This is a production from CalArts professor Rosanna Gamson's dance company. She is known for making these evening-length works of choreography that weave together text and music, also multimedia, and as well as the dance. And Sugar Houses is this dark retelling of Hansel and Gretel, which is already kind of dark. But this work digs into the history, the anti-Semitic undertones, the witch-burning backdrop, and the violence. And she calls on horror tropes like jump scares or the buildup of terror to tell the story. She's also pairing new texts, like from brilliant American horror writer Brian Evanson. And some of these are in the form of witches' spells. And there will also be new musical compositions adapted from traditional folk songs. Sugar Houses takes place at UC San Diego's Mandeville Auditorium tonight and Saturday at 8 p.m. For details on these and more arts events or to sign up for Julia's weekly KPBS Arts newsletter, go to kpbs.org arts. 
I've been speaking with KPBS arts editor and producer Julia Dixon Evans. Julia, thank you. Thanks, Jade. Have a good weekend. You too. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota. Let's go places.